how many of us have already made resolutions? Like, we are, are any like big New Year's resolution folks in in the? Yeah, okay. Um, the, here's the deal. Resolutions at their core are being and becoming statements. You know, like we talk about kind of the vision or the why adventure exists is to help people come as they are. That's who you are, right? And become all that God desires you to be. So re- resolutions at their core take all of those things into account, right? Where I am, where I want to go. Like who am I now? What is the status of my being? And then what is it or who do I want to become and what's going to What's, what's it going to take to get there? So I know a lot of us, like we, well, I'll just say this, not a lot of us, me, right? I, I can look in the mirror and go, um, I'm not in the shape that I want to be in, right? I know the shape, it's round, right? Which is a shape. So I can tell people, like, I'm getting in shape. Like, what shape? Round, circular. Um, but here's the thing. I got, you can look in the mirror and go, I, I want to get in better shape. I, I, so, so here's the thing. That's, that's where I'm at. I recognize I'm not in the shape that I want to be in. I want to get in better shape. I want to take better care of my body. So here's the strategy. The becoming strategy would say this. I need to stop eating junk food, start eating healthy, and, and start working out. My, my wife and I, Christy and I, and, and our son, Jack, our oldest, we've started uh, something that's called Discipline Equals Freedom. It's called the which is DEF, the Deaf Reset, uh, which is really just the month of January, but you can keep going as much as you want. And it's been amazing. Uh, if you're looking for a way to go, like, I need to do that too, I would love to chat with you about it. It's, it's, pretty, uh, it's pretty incredible. But that's kind of one of those things. It's like, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. Therefore, i got to have some strategy if I want to get there, right? Or maybe for some of us it's, hey, 2024 is the year that I want to be a better parent, Right? I recognize maybe that, that this in the past year that, that when it comes to connecting with my family, parenting my kids, I, I'm not the mom or I'm not the dad that I, I want to be. I need to be a better mom. I need to be a, a, a better dad. I want to be a better parent. And so the strategy is, well, I've got to take a look at my life and kind of inventory this, and maybe I need to stop letting work run my life. Right? I've got to find ways to be more present with my family. I need to start saving up so we can take that vacation that we've always wanted to take. Right? Those, are the, those are resolutions, but kind of a play on words, and we talk about high resolution, like high, something that has high resolution, like a high resolution or high def TV. When the resolution is high, there's clarity, right? You can see it. It's a clear picture. There's depth, right? It's not just something that's in front, but there's depth, there's quality, it's sharp, it's clear. It's something that, that has a lot of clarity and a lot of, of depth. When you look at things on like a high definition or high resolution screen, something like that, for, the, for those that have made the movies or taken the pictures or whatever, like that high resolution, that high definition, that's how they intended for us to see this, right? They wanted, somebody filmed something in real life and so when you put it on a high-resolution display, it looks like real life. That's what they want us to see. When something is high-resolution, we see it as it's intended to be seen. And so high-resolution, in this case, brings all of that into our being and becoming strategies. So typically, we kind of make these big, grand, bold resolutions, but a lot of times our resolutions come without any kind of depth or clarity. It's just a, it's more like a hopeful and and wishful statement. Well, I hope to be able to do this. And so the question that we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks is this. What what could resolutions do in our lives if we added real depth and real clarity to them? And here's the thing. Like, this is on purpose. We started really last fall in October when we had a, we we did a marriage and parenting and family relationship series called House on Fire. We kind of peeled back the, the beginning layers of the fact that there is a supernatural world that, that impacts and influences the natural world, the world that we live in. 
And so what we're going to begin to do, and we kind of stayed in that mode through the rest of the fall, and we're continuing that conversation as we, as we step into to this year. And so what we're going to do is we, as, as believers in Jesus, we need to be equipped not just to understand or know or believe that there's a supernatural and spiritual world, but how do we step into that? And how do we engage that? And how do we engage with those things that spiritually are trying to pull us away from Jesus? Those things that want to influence us away from a relationship with God. And so this is, we're going to begin really for the next, since from all the way through Easter, we're going to be talking about real strategies and real ways for us to begin to step into some of that spiritual and supernatural tension that some of us we know and we know exists and others we're just finding out that there's actually something bigger going on here and so this is really what this is all about right so that's kind of how we're we're, we're going to kick off the new year but earlier this week i read an article in psychology today which is more fun than it sounds uh, about new year's resolutions And the author of this article cited a study that was done by U.S. News & World Report that said that somewhere between 80 and 85% of New Year's resolutions fail by by February, right? And and me too, right? Include me in in that stat, right? And if this is correct, right, if we believe that this is correct, it means that in just a few weeks, somewhere between eight and nine out of every 10 people in this room will have given up on the resolutions and goals that we set out for ourselves at the beginning of this year, which really means in just a a few weeks, most of us will have abandoned the processes and strategies of being and becoming. Like, we'll have let those things go, walked away from that. And here's, here's the really hard truth, okay? You and I are the main reason, and we are the primary culprit when it comes to failing to reach our goals and abandoning our resolutions, our, our New Year's resolutions. Happy New Year, right? It's like, man, we're 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 not we're, we're this isn't we're start, we're not starting off easy. Nope. It's like I'm, we're going to step on toes like for the first Sunday of the year. Some people are like, I'm never coming back, right? But here's what the article had to say, right? Here's the research that supports that. The article said that whether you're feeling anxious and depressed or frustrated or weak or out of control or simply bored, the stresses of change become the high octane fuel of failure in our efforts to achieve our goals or hold fast to our resolutions. Like I said, when we start looking at a fresh year and a, and a fresh calendar, I think we find ourselves in some of those spaces. You know, we're anxious about a new year. Maybe we're depressed because this year feels like it's going to be the same as the last few years. Or maybe we're frustrated because we just can't seem to find ourselves at a point where we're anticipating or hopeful about a brand new year. Or maybe we're just tired. Maybe we're worn out. Maybe we've got no strength. Maybe we feel like we're out of control. Or it's just, well, here we go again. It's just we're bored. It's mundane. It's routine. That fear, right, the fear of failure, the stresses of change, that becomes the thing that fuels ultimately the reasons that we fail. And the authors went on to say this, when it comes to handling the stresses involved in change, many people share the fundamental problem of self-sabotage. So see, don't get mad at me, they said it, right? Get mad at the psychology today guy. But here's the thing, it's science, right? Science has proven that we are the main problem when it comes to the overwhelming rate of failure when it comes to pursuing our goals and resolutions. Like the article said, the main intent, the main intent and purpose of things like goals and resolutions at its core is to bring about change. And as a general rule, we don't like change, right? Most of us 
are, are pretty averse to change. Those of us that like change, like myself, we're all a little crazy, right? But here's the thing. E- even if we know, even if we know that it's ultimately for our good, change of any kind is stressful. We're not quite sure we want to walk through that. Change causes emotional stress, mental stress, spiritual stress. There's physical friction and tension. When change gets personal, when we start, when when change becomes focused on us, when we are the one going through changes, that just amplifies all of that stress tenfold. Like for me, you know, I love kind of the, towards the end of the year and the, that week in between Christmas and New Year's, that's when like your social media feed, especially or even if you watch TV, it's full of like all the ads for gym memberships or like the latest thing that's going to work. Like the one I saw that I'm like, I'm really interested in this is you can eat whatever you want, you don't have to exercise, and you'll lose weight. And I'm like, how does that work? Right? And then you log on, you're like, well, you need to pay like $10,000 to find out. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. Right? But I would love for that to be the case. And you see all the testimonials of the people that have gone through these different things, like the, the before and after photos, like this was this person when they started. And now look at them, you know, where they are. And then like down below, if you read like in the little disclaimers, it's like this was the one person this worked for. Right? But maybe you could be the second. Right? But, but like I look at those things and I'm like, I, I, just, I just want the, the before photo like just what does it take to get there right because I'm somewhere like here's the before photo I'm like back here right so I want the before like the after photo looks great I'll just take the before photo that's that feels more like my my speed but here's the deal here's what we do instead of pursuing personal change we find justifiable escapes and exits from the process of change entirely and I know for me and my family, I'm not going to point my fingers at you, but I know what it's like in our family. Like, usually the thing that we use as an escape or an exit is kind of our family schedule. Anybody here busy? Yeah? Yeah, us too, right? We're, we're busy. I mean, the, 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 the fact is, like, we both, my, my wife and I both work. We, our kids are involved in extracurricular things. Like, we're driving kids from one place to another. And if you look at our schedule, you could go, like, yeah, you guys are busy. I can understand, you know, why you may need to let go of your New Year's resolutions or why you maybe need to adapt your goals or just have better expectations, like maybe low expectations. But here's the thing. Like, as we look at our calendar, we can justify our exit and our escape from the process of change entirely. It's easy for Christy and I to kind of blame our busy schedules as the reason that we let go of our our goals and abandon our resolutions. But here's what we're really saying. What we're really saying is this, we don't wanna change. We don't wanna change. Do I like how things are? No. Could things get better? Sure. Do I want to pay the cost? No, I don't. I, I really don't want to change. And, and so the end result of change, as good as it may be, the cost of making that happen isn't worth the stress of getting there. And again, here's the hard truth, right? We made that decision. Maybe you've made that decision to escape the process of change. And that is the definition of self-sabotage. Nobody else is responsible. It's nobody else's fault. 
And here's the thing, it's really easy to do, right? There aren't many consequences for letting go of our, uh, of our goals and abandoning our resolutions. When you and I share with coworkers, friends, family, people like that, neighbors, when we share the reason that we let go of our goals and abandon our resolutions to escape the process of change, there is an 80 to 85% chance you're sharing your excuse of self-sabotage with somebody else that's, that has either done or is currently doing the same thing. It's safe. There's a eight, almost like nine out of ten chance that the person I talk to is going, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, we, we, we made it about a week. We made it a couple of days. We made it about a month, and then it just, you know, like life took over, and we just weren't able to do that anymore. So the first reason is that, right? The first reason is for us, like we, we're just afraid of the stress that, that comes with changing, shifting, things not looking like they were before. That's stressful. The second reason that we give up on our goals and we bail on our resolutions is our approach to change tends to be outside in instead of inside out. The article that I read went on to say this, that outside in solutions such as dieting, joining gyms, and so on are doomed to fail other if, other than your well-intentioned resolve to change, you've done nothing to enhance your capacity to either sustain motivation or handle the inevitable stress and discomfort involved in change. And just so you know, the way we take notes at Adventure, if you're like, hey, I want to write that down, um, just take a picture, that you take, take out your phone, take a picture of the screen. Um, so there's going to be a lot of, just so you know, there's going to be a lot of setup today. Like today's going to be a big setup deal for us because I need us to understand how to wrap our brains around stuff. Next week, we're really going to dive into some of this. But here's what we learned is outside-in solutions are doomed to fail because it's just behavior modification. Right? Behavior modification, what it does is it attempts to change our being through our doing. Like by modifying the things that you do, you're attempting to change who you are. Like we're trying to modify behavior while crossing our fingers and hoping that it will make its way into like our hearts and our souls and change our identity. And it'll bring lasting change. We hope that change works, that it fits, that it, that it sticks around forever. And again, based on the data, that kind of approach to change has an 80 to 85% failure rate. It doesn't work. So when we try to identify the who or the why or the what or the outcome of this chronic pattern of giving up on our goals and abandoning our resolutions, just here's the answer. The answer to who is us. The answer to that who question is us. We are our own worst enemy when it comes to change. Right? The, the answer to the what question, what causes this whole thing to come off the rails? It's the stress, it's the tension, it's the friction, and it's the fear that we try to avoid when it comes to change of any kind. And that's what derails this whole thing. The why, like why does this thing fall apart, is our typical outside-in approach to change. It's set up to fail from the beginning. And so the outcome is this. Despite our best desires and good intentions, nothing changes. And we just do kind of life on repeat over and over and over and over again. I know some of us in the room that go, that sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. And so the question is this, what's the alternative? Like, what's the alternative? If that doesn't work, if that results in an 80 to 85% failure rate, then how do we push through the stress and tension of change? How do we deal with and silence these justifiable excuses that lead to self-sabotage? How can we increase within ourselves the capacity to, to sustain motivation and handle the stress that comes with the cost of changing our lives? And here's the answer, discipline. That's the answer. 
And here's the thing I did this, this week as I was preparing. I kind of studied through what this word means, not just to us, because we think of discipline. You know, discipline, it's like if you've been disciplined, you got in trouble, right? Like that's typically how we think of like discipline is like, well, it's, you know, who disciplines our kids or do our kids, like what does discipline look like, you know, those kinds of things. I, I studied this word a little bit as it would have been read and understood by the people back in Jesus' day, right? Again, we have to read the Bible not only as it's written like to us, but also as it was originally written, like we've got to get in that context because a lot of times what we read and what the Bible is trying to say, they, they, sometimes they line up, sometimes they don't. We really need to, to kind of lean in and press into what, what does the Bible mean when it says this? How would have someone back in Jesus' day read this or understood this? Is it different than the way we do that? And sometimes the answer is yes. And so I studied this word a little bit as it related to kind of biblical culture. And so the, the root word, I don't know if you've seen this or picked up on this, but the root word of, of discipline is the word disciple, right? Which we know Jesus did a lot of that, right? Discipling was a big deal back in Jesus' day. Like discipling was kind of like the norm. It was how things happened. Like you were discipled into whatever job you were going to do. You were trained by someone uh, to do a job. Rabbis, teachers, religious folks, they had disciples that followed them, that learned from them, that they would go on and disciple other folks. So disciples, discipleship and discipling is not something that we use a lot in kind of 2024 culture. But think of it like apprentice. Like the goal of an apprentice is to, you know, to learn under someone and then be able to do the things that they're able to do, right? And so a disciple is literally, in a biblical perspective, right, from the biblical language, a disciple is literally someone who is being trained. You know, a better way of kind of even unpacking that word or translating that word, disciple is trainee or apprentice, something like that. Discipline, from a biblical perspective, is the training process by which disciples are made, trained, and equipped, right? So it's different maybe than the way we understand it. It's different than the way that we kind of, that word in biblical culture kind of carries a different weight and a different meaning than it does in 2024, but it's important for us to be able to get this. So again, Christy and I are doing this thing called Discipline Equals Freedom. It comes from a, a book that, that it was written by, by a man, former Navy SEAL commander, Jocko Willink. He says this, he says, discipline comes from within. It's an internal force. Discipline is the, the root of all good qualities. It is the driver of daily execution. It is the core principle that overcomes laziness, lethargy, and excuses. Dallas Willard, who I love, says it like this. The aim of discipline is, is not behavior modification, but transformation of all of the aspects, heart, mind, soul, and strength of you and me where our behavior comes from. See, discipline asks the same kinds of questions that resolutions ask. Discipline looks at where we are and says, who do I need to be and who do I need to become? But then discipline takes it one step further and says, what do I need to do to make that happen? Or who do I need to be to make that happen? Discipline is what reshapes and reforms and brings change into our being. See, discipline influences and impacts and shapes who we are, which then naturally, authentically, and genuinely makes its way out into our doing and how we live our lives. Discipline is the engine of inside-out transformation. And the reason that this is so critical... The reason that we're going to spend six weeks talking about this in the beginning of the year, like I said before, is this. We are all being discipled and disciplined by something or someone that wants us to look and live like they do. We're all being disciplined and discipled. Whether it's by your boss at work or whether it's by just the, the, the culture of, of work, whatever it is. 
whether it's by friends at, at school, neighbors, whatever, social media, we are all being disciplined and discipled by something or someone. And the ultimate goal of discipline and discipleship is to make you look and live like whatever that is. That's the goal. Something or someone is always trying to shape who we are in its own image, which means physically, mentally, emotionally, and most important, spiritually. Right? It's that you, it, it's that you begin to take on that image physically. It's that you begin to think like them. You begin to feel like them and that you spiritually are connected to them. And so the reason I say the spiritual aspect of this is one of the most important things is because however our spirit is being formed and transformed, that will affect every other aspect of who we are, right? Do you get that? Like if you're taking notes, that's not on the screen. If you're taking notes, write that one down, right? The reason that the spiritual component of this is so important is because however our spirit is being formed, however our spirit is being discipled and disciplined, will affect every other aspect of who we are. It's how God made us. And so it's important for us to, that we get the fact that something or someone is always kind of attempting to bring some sort of inside-out transformation in our lives and through our lives. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, who is that? Or what is that? And let me take it one step further. The next question we need to ask is, if that thing or that person is anyone other than Jesus... How's that really working out for me? We talk about sitting at the end of one year and, and looking at the beginning of another one going, well, it's just going to be more of the same. Could, could, it, could it be possible that the reason, the fact that you seem like your life is on repeat is that you're allowing yourself to be discipled and disciplined and formed and transformed into something like that? If it's something or anyone other than Jesus, how's that really working out for you? Where is that thing or that person? Where are they really taking you? Is it really shaping you into the person that you want to be? Is it really transforming you into the person that you want to be or not? And again, I know this is a ton of setup, but here's the deal. I need us to be able to see and understand the reason why we're going to unpack discipleship and spiritual disciplines for the next few weeks in this year. This is intentional. It's strategic, right? I have an agenda, <laughs> right? I'll just be honest. I have an agenda, and this is it. This is the agenda. I, I, and, and here's the thing. I'm not going to stand on this stage and, and preach something or teach something or make you ask of yourself questions that I have not also asked of myself. And so as I sat kind of at the end of 2023, looking at 2024, I started asking myself questions like this. Like, why go another year? Why go another year, another month, or another day repeating some of the same cycles and patterns that we've been stuck in year after year. Why do that? You know, whether it comes to your rhythm of life, whether it comes to uh, consumption of alcohol, whatever it is, like why, why, like why, when it comes to the fact that we don't work out, we're eating junk food, the, our coping mechanisms, why would I spend another year, another month, or another day repeating the same cycles and patterns that I've been stuck in, that are unhealthy, that are not connected to Jesus, the next question I asked was this, why let my fear and my resistance of change and bad strategies, the strategies that I use to try to change my own life, why would I continue to approach those things that, that ultimately are going to short circuit my life? Like, Why would I keep using the same bad strategy over and over and over again, thinking, well, this time, maybe it'll work? And then this was a big one for me. Why go another minute or another second letting something other or someone other than Jesus shape and form the spiritual aspects 
of who we are, of who I am, that influence every other aspect of my life and yours? Those are the questions that I kind of jotted down in my journal as I ended the year going into the next one. It's like, all right, we're going to reflect back on some of this stuff. Why would I want to keep doing some of the same stuff that I've been doing? And let me just tell you, as I searched for answers, here's what I found. There's no good answer. There's no answer for any of these that, that even in your conversation with Jesus, you had Jesus like, hey, listen, I want to take you on this journey of discipleship. I want you to look and live more like me, and here's what that's going to do to your life. And you're going to look at Jesus and go, well, Jesus, here's the thing. Um, here's my excuse why I can't do that. Like, here's the reason why I can't, Jesus. My schedule is really busy. My, Jesus, I don't really want to let go of, of, of that, that substance or that person or that relationship that kind of numbs me out. There's no point that Jesus would look at your excuse and go, well, now that you put it that way. You're good. There's no good reason. There's no good answer to any of those questions. And so for the next month, we're going to be looking at the spiritual disciplines that Jesus practiced. Right? We're going to look at the spiritual disciplines that Jesus, that he practiced in his humanity. Right? We talk about Jesus was God with skin on. Right? And, and before, the, from the birth of Jesus, right, up until the point when he died on a cross and was resurrected, Jesus lived just like you and I. One of my, my mentors, a guy named Dan Spader, who we're kind of getting some of this stuff from, like he used to say that it's like Jesus had like the God ATM card in his back pocket his whole life and never used it until after he came out of a grave. Which at that point, if you can do that, use the God ATM card, right? If you can pull that off, go for it. But Jesus lived just like us. Jesus had to deal with stuff just like we do. And so Jesus used personal and spiritual disciplines to train, his, to train his own life. Jesus used his personal spiritual disciplines as a means of training and equipping and transforming his disciples to look and live like him. So just so we're clear, take a picture of this one. Like just so you know, like when it comes to spiritual disciplines, I know that's kind of a churchy term. I want you to understand what they are. Here's how Dallas Willard defines them. Spiritual disciplines are training activities that we can do. Like these are things that you can do. Like, they're not too hard. They're not too difficult. You can do this. It's possible. Spiritual disciplines are training activities that we can do within our own power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by simply trying through our own direct effort. That's what they are. That's what spiritual disciplines are. They are training activities. Well, what do they do? Well, they help you to be able to do things that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do if it was just up to you. And so as we look at the life of Jesus... As we look at Jesus' life through all the Gospels, we can see that Jesus really kind of exhibited five spiritual disciplines. He practiced five spiritual disciplines, and here they are. Number one is prayer. Right? Jesus prayed. The second one is obedience. Jesus was obedient to his Father. And just so you know, obedience isn't just blindly following orders. Obedience is the love language of a father. Obedience is the love language of a parent. Why? Because when we look at our kids and our kids do what we ask them to do, it's not just that they did what, they, what we asked them to do, it's that they trusted us enough to do what we asked them to do. Right? That's what obedience is. So Jesus, he prayed, he was obedient. Jesus was centered on the word. Jesus knew the word. Like Jesus knew the scriptures. And at his time, it was just the Old Testament, right? He was in the middle of writing the New Testament, living the New Testament, right? But Jesus understood the word. He knew scripture. He was in the word. Jesus Practice exaltation, which is a really fancy word for worship, right? Jesus worshiped. He was a worshiper. And then one of the things we see Jesus practice more than anything, right, is relational intentionality. Jesus had relationships that meant something, right? It wasn't just loose connections on social media. 
I mean, you think about it right now, we, we live in a culture and a society where we have more connections and relationships. I mean, some of us have thousands of followers on social media, but how, how connected are you, right? You've got lots of relationships. You have lots of connection, but you don't have a lot of relationships. You've got a lot of connection, but you're not really known, and you don't know them. Oh, yeah, that person's my friend. What's their favorite color? I don't know. I just got to tell you what they ate last night because they posted it on Instagram. <laughs> but here's the thing. When you look at these, there's an acronym, if you haven't caught that yet, and here it is. It's power, right? And this is what my friend Dan, my, my mentor Dan Spader, he's the one that came up with this. I can't, I'm not that clever, right? But this is what it's all about, right? What, when we step into this, Jesus exhibited power in his life, but he exhibited that power in his humanity, just like us. As a living, breathing person, as a living, breathing man, he exhibited this power. One of my favorite verses that comes in the Gospel of John where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you're gonna, you've, the, all the things you've seen me do, you'll go on to do those, things, those same things, and you'll do even greater things than you've seen me do. What was he referring to? That. Jesus says, you look at my life, and you look like, that's a powerful life. You too can live that powerful life. It's possible. Right? But that power isn't for us. That power isn't for us to gain status or influence. The power is to advance God's kingdom. There's a purpose to this power. And so these are the disciplines that Jesus personally used to stay locked into the will and desire of his father throughout his life and throughout his mission and throughout his ministry, right? They're the same things. These are the same things that he taught his disciples in in an effort to prepare them to carry on his movement and his mission of making disciples of all nations. Just look at the Great Commission, right? One of the most famous scriptures in, in all of the Bible, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, it says this, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he says, go, therefore, which basically means this, in light of the fact that I have all the authority, go and make disciples. So this is where this kind of study in the original language, you learn a lot. So the word make in Greek is actually the verb form of disciple. The word make in Greek is the word mathetuo. The word mathetuo is the verb form of the word disciple, which is mathetes in Greek. And literally it translates, translates, through discipline, make disciples. Be disciples who live under discipline, and under that discipline, make disciples. Of who? All nations. What do we do? We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we teach them. Notice it doesn't say, tell them doesn't say talk at them. It says teach them, which means this, to instill the same disciplines in them to observe all that I've commanded you. How have you done that? Well, I've commanded you. I have instilled discipline in you. The same way that I instilled discipline in you, Jesus says, instill discipline in them. And then he says this, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he was through discipleship and spiritual disciplines that Jesus changed the lives of his disciples and Jesus is telling them and telling us that it will be through that same discipleship and that same spiritual discipline that the kind of powerful transformation that Jesus is after, that the disciples experienced in their lives, that same powerful transformation that comes through and from Jesus will reach into us and then out to the ends of the earth through all people. Why? Because we have been empowered. 
to teach people what it's like to live in the power of Jesus. The difference between Jesus's inside-out discipline approach to transformation and our outside-in behavior modification is subtle, but it's really profound. So let me just kind of line out a couple examples, right? When it comes to prayer, outside-in behavior modification would say this, I need to pray more. I need to pray more. Like, that's it. That outside-in behavior modification would say, like, I, need, I, I, I would like to, to be able to pray more. Inside-out transformation would say this, I need to become a praying person. You hear the difference? It's subtle. One says, well, I need to pray more. The other one says, I need to become a praying person. One is just an action statement. The other one is an identity statement. Instead of, I need to obey God more, it's, I need, to become faith, I need to become a faithfully obedient person. Instead of, I need to read my Bible more, it's, I need to become someone who, whose life is centered on the word of God. Instead of, well, I need to worship Jesus more, so I'll show up at church uh, on Sundays, right? It's, I need to become a worshiper of Jesus. Instead of, well, I need to make friends. It's, I need to become someone who does life intentionally in community with others. Can you see the difference? Like one approach is merely focused on the modification of your actions alone, but Jesus' approach focused on the transformation of our identities. And that's what we're going to dive into. And so I want to give you just really quick as we wrap up just how we do this. Like how does Jesus do this? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and I am humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's pause right here for, for just a second. To help us understand, like, the starting point of spiritual disciplines and discipleship, Jesus does what we all think that he should do and would do, and he points to first century farming equipment, right? How many of us are like, yeah, that's, that seems like the right way to do that, right? Like, Jesus is like, let me make this thing really clear for you. Uh, it's a lot like that tractor, Right? He talks about this, this whole thing about a yoke, right? For people back in his day, they would have understood what he was getting at, but maybe for us, not as much. So I, just so you know, I went down the rabbit hole this week um, of practices and methods of yoking. And it is a deep well, right? I did it for you so you don't have to, but if you want to jump on that trip, that train, it's a great one, right? It's a good ride. So a yoke, let me show you a picture. This is a yoke. It is this device that is used, those are oxes, right? Like, just so you know, like, the oxes aren't the yoke. The yoke is the wooden thing between them, right? Just so you're not confused. Like, he says the yoke looks a lot like a cow. No, it's the wooden thing between them, right? It's, it's the device that was used back in Jesus' day to hook animals together to, to pull heavy loads or do heavy work. It would fit over their shoulders, and it would tie them together, and in doing so would double the output of work while also reducing the strain on the animals. But here are some interesting yoke facts, Right? First, animals have to learn the yoke, meaning they literally have to get used to this thing kind of being around their necks or on their shoulders. And that takes time. So farmers would put a yoke around a cow or an ox, and it would just kind of walk around with that thing on before they did anything with it. The second thing is animals have to practice under the yoke. And the way they do this is they pair an older, more experienced animal with a younger one. One of the posts I read said it was typical for the older animal to do more work than the younger animal initially. The third thing is that when the animals are, are yoked together, they have to walk parallel. Right? They have to walk right next to each other. If one animal lags behind, you can't plow in a straight line. Or if you're hauling a heavy load, you'll kind of drift to one side or the other. And the last kind of main practice when it comes to yoking is this. You can only attach the yoke to one thing at a time. Like you can't pull a plow and something else. 
You can only be yoked to one thing at a time. And now we know when Jesus talks about this, he's not really talking about first century farming equipment. The yoke that Jesus refers to is the metaphor for you and I putting on the discipline of discipleship under his teaching and leading. But these principles still apply. First, it takes time to learn it. Like spiritual disciplines and discipleship is not something you snap your fingers and go, well, I got it, figured out. How long does it take? The rest of your life. Right? That's the truth. It's a process that starts now and lasts forever. But Jesus understands this, and what Jesus offers us is patience and grace in a time of learning. Second, it requires practice. We have to be discipled by someone who has more experience than us in practicing these disciplines. There are people in this church who have been walking with Jesus maybe longer than you have. That'd be a great person for you to kind of say, hey, listen, can we walk together? In, in this case, what Jesus says is, I'm offering, I'm offering me. Jesus offers himself. He offers us his Holy Spirit. In, additional to the, in addition to the community around us, Jesus also offers himself. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Third, you have to walk parallel with the person that's discipling you. We're tied to Jesus, right? But Jesus is also tied to us. We walk with Jesus, and I love that. Jesus invites us into a relationship of withness. Where we get to walk parallel with him. And then the last thing is also true. You can only tie a yoke to one thing. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus and fill in that blank. It doesn't work. It's not possible. It's Jesus alone. That's it. And so... As we wrap, the last thing that I want us to catch really is how Jesus describes his yoke. He says it's easy and it's light, which for some of us in our brains, we intentionally assume that Jesus means that it's not difficult, that it's really not going to add that much weight or pressure to our lives. It's fairly simple, non-invasive, and he's not going to get too far up in my business, right? That's the kind of discipleship and discipline I'm looking for. Let me just tell you, that's not what he's saying at all, right? The phrase easy and light means this, it fits like it's supposed to. It's meant for you. So what Jesus is really saying here is coming under my teaching and taking on the yoke of, 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 of the disciplines that I teach will lead you to the life that you were meant for and the way of living you're supposed to live. You, us, tied to Jesus alone, and Jesus tied to us, walking parallel. And this is super important. Don't miss this. Who does Jesus offer this to? He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, literally those who are tired from struggling and those who are overloaded by life, those who have been stuck in the continuous patterns and cycles of fear, doubt, and failure. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, come to me, all of you who are flawless and perfect. He doesn't say, come to me, all of you who have tons of free time and are looking for a new spiritual hobby, right? That's not what Jesus says. He says, come to me, single parent, single mom, single dad. You're doing all you can to keep everybody in your family. You're, you're trying to keep everybody's life above water. Come to me. He says, come to me, parents who are doing everything you can right now in the midst of a crazy world to guard the hearts of your kids. He says, come to me, all of you who are struggling with addictions and doing all that you can to stay sober. He says, come to me, all, that you, all of you who deal with loneliness and sadness and anger and depression and anxiety and are doing all you can to get out of bed in the morning. Come to me. Why? Because there's a life that fits you. It's meant for you. Come to me because there's a life 
that I want to offer you. I want to, to help you walk into this with God life. And the way into that life of power is to become a disciple that accepts the teaching, the truth, and the yoke of Jesus' disciplines. You want to live that powerful life that Jesus lived? Again, not for our own status, but to advance Jesus' kingdom in this world, then we've got to come under the yoke of his disciplines. And so last thing I want to do is this. When it comes to, to discipline, there's no shortcut, right? The only way forward is through. And over the next few weeks, we're going to offer up some challenges. And so I'm going to throw this QR code up. You can do this right now. We'll put it up on the screen after service as well. We're going to offer some weekly challenges, Right? So this isn't just something where you come on a Sunday and you listen to a sermon and go, well, that's nice. Because really, at this point, right, you're, you're already thinking about where you're going to go for lunch. right? So here's the thing. Most of the time, what we learn in here and talk about in here, sometimes it makes it to the car in the parking lot. Sometimes it doesn't. And so this is going to help us carry this through. We are going to offer each week a weekly challenge. Now, here's the thing. It's not meant to overwhelm you. I know we're busy. I know we got stuff going on. This is really designed to do daily in about five minutes or so a day, right? And here's the thing. You're going to have to carve out space. You're going to have to be intentional with this, right? So that we're going to, again, this QR code will be here. You can scan that. It's a, it's a group that you can join. The first resource is already in there, right? So we already preloaded that. So the first weekly challenge is already uploaded in that group. All you have to do is tap on resources, and, and it will take you there. Like, but here's the thing. These things are designed to engage us. These weekly challenges are designed to engage us in spiritual activities, right? They're, they're designed to engage us in spiritual disciplines, in the discipleship of Jesus that lead to power, prayer, obedience, word-centered, worship, exaltation, and, and intentional relationships. And here's the thing. I hope we all do this. That's my challenge. I hope you do this because here's what we're doing. We're, we're practicing the same rhythms that Jesus practiced. We're going to start off our year by practicing the same things that Jesus practiced. And here's the thing. You don't have to do this. Some of you go, I don't think so. But here's the thing. I want you to know this. If you don't do this, the only one saying no is you. It's your responsibility. The only one saying no is you. No one's saying no for you. It's not always going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. And I'm telling you, just because I know this, because the thing that Christy and I started at the beginning of this, this last week, excuses will start flying almost instantly. But you have to understand, those, those things that, the excuses that pop up in your life that want to keep you from Jesus, those aren't just calendar issues. Those are spiritual issues. The spirit that is at work in this world, the evil spirits that are at work in this world and in our culture, they don't want you to get closer with Jesus. The devil wants to destroy you, but he'll take a distracted you. He'll accept that, because then you're not a threat. So I want you to understand that. When the, when the excuses start flying, no, it's not just a work thing, it's not just a schedule thing, it's not just a school thing, that's more than likely a spiritual thing. And here, I love what Hebrews 12 says. This is the last thing we'll read. It says this, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Duh. Right? Like there's parts you read the Bible and go, uh-huh, right? It says it's all, it all seems painful. In the moment, in the beginning when you get started, it seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Church, in 2024, Adventure, the people of adventure, we are going to have to be spiritually strong. 
And I don't know, like, I'm not saying this from a place of, like, I know something bad is going to happen. Like, I'm not trying to scare, I'm just telling you, all you have to do is read the news for five minutes. And you can see, man, this world is spiraling. And if we're going to step into that, we have to be people who engage in things that are going to make us spiritually strong. That are going to give us the same power that Jesus had that changed the world through discipleship. We have to have that same power. Discipline isn't easy, but nothing really truly worth doing ever is. The outcome, like we see in Hebrews, of discipline is righteousness, which means right living, and healing, which means being made whole. How many of us, year in and year out, even with these failed resolutions, we still feel like there's something missing in our lives? Jesus says, no, let me invite you into this discipline piece because this is where you will find wholeness. You'll find peace. When you step out of fear uh, and failure, right, you step into power through being a disciple of Jesus, as becoming people who pray, people who are obedient, people who are centered on the word, people who are worshipers and exalters of Jesus, and people who are in relationships that matter. That sounds like a good deal to me. So today as we wrap up, as we sing this last song, if you want to say yes to Jesus, maybe you're, you're starting out this new year, you go, you know, I don't know that I've really ever invited Jesus to be my savior. I'd love to chat with you about that. I'll be down front in this next song. We can chat. If today you want to join our church, you say, listen, I want to be a part of this crazy crew that's going to step into this. I would love to meet you down here as well. And if you just need prayer, man, I'd love to pray for you. If you just need to spend some time here at the foot of the cross, there's a place you can do that as well. This is your time. This is time for, for us to engage in this worship and to say yes, to accept Jesus' invitation into a life that's unlike any other. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it going to be easy all the time? No. But it's worth it. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And today we are so grateful that we can read back into your word and see how you lived your life. And you leave us your truth so that we can begin to walk in light of that truth. That we, our lives can, can, can be shaped and molded to look like you. And that's what you're after. You give us your spirit, right? You say, you, like, learn from me. You give us your spirit to guide us and teach us and, and renovate and restore our lives. You give us your word that we can go back to and look at and read and understand through new lenses. And you give us each other. You give us a church, a family, a community to do this life with. So Jesus, I pray that in us right now, while fear may be rising, that, that your courage rises even more. While stress and worry may be rising, your peace is rising even more. While the excuses and the lies start flying, Lord, that your truth would silence those and drown them out. Jesus, I pray a blessing over our church, your blessing over our church, the blessing of discipleship, an open opportunity to learn from, be formed by and transformed by you. Jesus, we love you. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Stand and worship.